Well, throughout the Sundays in Advent and Christmastide, we've been following Luke's narrative and the birth stories of both John the Baptist and Jesus. So this morning, our journey culminates with an event where the two cousins are now adults and John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. You'll notice as I read the scripture that ever the historian, the gospel writer Luke, once again carefully sets Jesus in historical context. And now please hear this gospel reading. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruled the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of, of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, well, What then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by John because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Reverend Cecilia Armstrong tells about the way her mom would wake her up each morning when she was a child. She'd channel Hank Williams, and she'd sing, 
Hey, good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? She looks back now and realizes what a wonderful affirmation and start to the day this routine was for her. This song, First Thing in the Morning, was a foundation and message about her mom's love for her. And as the events of the day would unfold, this song was a soundtrack that played in her subconscious, always a reminder of this declaration of love. Well, in our scripture reading today, after Jesus is baptized, he's praying. He's having a conversation with God. God is listening, and in response, tells Jesus, You are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Well, as we've been following the birth stories of John and Jesus over the past few Sundays, we've been asking the question, how does a weary world rejoice? We've read scriptures that have told us stories of amazement and joy and hope. And as our weary world wonders how we can rejoice, what if we simply receive this declaration of love affirmed by God? Can we imagine God singing the refrain from that Hank Williams song to us each morning? Hey, good looking. We are made in the image of God after all. We are God's handiwork. And God has said that all that God has created is good. And I want to talk more about belovedness this morning. But first, let's take a few moments and go back to the scriptures and uncover a little context and why this event matters so much as we begin this new year. Jesus' baptism is recorded in all four Gospels. Some of the Gospel writers give more detail than others. And each time I read this scripture, I wonder about the whole baptismal scene. In Matthew's Gospel, he tells us that the people of Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region along the Jordan River came to be baptized. So we might picture crowds of people. Crowds that included soldiers and tax collectors, family people, synagogue people, religious leaders, and probably plenty of people considered to have questionable reputations, all tromping around down to the muddy banks of the Jordan River. So not only does it sound like it was a large crowd gathered down there by the river's edge, but it was one made up of very interesting characters, to say the least. And right in the middle of all of them, stood John the Baptist, this wild-looking, locust-eating man, shout-preaching that they must repent and turn from their ways. But then one day, Jesus, John the Baptist's cousin, walked the road or the path to this particular destination, and he too went down to the River Jordan, where John the Baptizer was. Scripture doesn't say that he cut to the front of the line, so there he was, in line with all the people, waiting to get baptized, Jesus did not make a big deal about it. He didn't preach while he waited. He didn't call any attention to himself. Scriptures tell us at first that John was surprised by Jesus' request to be baptized. For while John might not have known exactly what was different about his cousin named Jesus as they grew up, he knew something was different about his cousin named Jesus. And so Jesus went down to the water just like everybody else. All the soldiers, the tax collector, all the people John had scared straight through his tough preaching of repentance and change. Jesus went down into the water just like they did and was baptized by John just like they were. Luke, as well as the other gospel writers, makes it very clear. 
that while the ministry of these cousins is linked, John is not the Messiah. John is bearing witness to Jesus as the Messiah. Luke goes to such lengths to ensure that this is understood that he even takes an additional step of inserting the story of John's arrest before Jesus' baptism story to emphasize that John is ending his ministry as Jesus is beginning his. Luke's writing makes clear that the spotlight is not to be on John. The spotlight is to be on Jesus as he came out of the water. But we wonder, why did Jesus go down to that river's edge with everybody else and get baptized in the exact same way? After all, John was preaching a baptism of repentance, a chance to wash away the old sinful self in order to start again. That's why all those other interesting characters were there, to get a new start, to get right with God, to repent and change, to demonstrate a new and different way they hoped to live. And while we believe that Jesus was fully human, just like you and me, We also believe that he was fully divine and lived out the calling of being human so completely that he never fell short of it, unlike you and I. So clearly, Jesus was not being baptized for his repentance, and that causes us to wonder, why was he even down there in the first place, hanging out and waiting in the middle of a mass of sinners? Well, let's return to Luke's report of what happened when Jesus came out of the water, and then we're going to return to that question. After convincing John to baptize him, Jesus came up out of the water to see the heavens open up, God's spirit descending down as a dove, and a voice echoes out for everybody to hear, you are my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It's as if, in this moment, we get to see and hear the Christmas proclamation again the proclamation that Jesus was God's love made visible, God's love made flesh, God with us. Now, let's set aside the holy voice for just a moment and again clarify that Jesus did not go down to the river's edge to confess anything he had done or not done or repent for any ways he'd fallen astray. Jesus stood around with all those interesting characters in the mud and the muck, getting dirty and wet and baptized just like them because In him, God had come to be one of us. Not one like us, but one of us. And to be one of us meant getting dirty and wet and baptized just like everybody else. To be one of us meant waiting in line, holding the cloak of the man in front of you as he walked into the river, and celebrating with the woman next to you as she made her way back to the shore. Perhaps Jesus was baptized on that day to be identified and linked with all who were listening to John, linked with the soldiers, linked with the tax collectors, linked with the family people, linked with the synagogue people, linked with the religious people, linked with all the sinners, linked with you and linked with me. Jesus was baptized that day, so he would be known as one of them, one of us, not only our Savior, but also our brother, our sibling. As Barbara Brown Taylor once wrote, in baptism, Jesus took the plunge right along with the rest of us and never asks us to go anywhere he hasn't been first. Maybe he lined up there with everybody else because this is what the incarnation is all about. God 
in Jesus is taking our side. Jesus is not content to be separate from us, but to join us, to be one of us in all that we are and all that we do. And so because of this, God's voice in that declaration of love reverberates for all of us. What if each of us could hear and know that deeply? I am God's beloved. The gift of the voice at Jesus' baptism is a reminder that we are God's beloved. And with us, God is well-pleased. As we read this passage, the words of affirmation and love from God to Jesus stand out in stark contrast to John's vision of a Messiah who will appear with a winnowing fork in hand, ready to separate the wheat from the chaff, and harsh warnings to the brood of vipers. But the words of God's love and affirmation of our belovedness are the words that will sustain us. And Jesus walked alongside people who can't get enough love, people who need to hear words of affirmation and encouragement, words of grace, forgiveness, and hope. And the message of love Jesus receives at baptism sustains him in the wilderness of temptation through his public ministry and ultimately his suffering and his death. And just as God delighted in Jesus at the moment of his baptism, giving voice to the claim on his life that had been there all along, so God delights in us just as much. You are beloved, and with you, God is well-pleased. God's words and God's voice reverberates for all of us. But it certainly isn't easy to hear that voice in a world filled with voices that shout, you're no good, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're nobody unless you can demonstrate the opposite. Sometimes, those of us who are adults, the voices from our childhood still ring in our ears, voices that cause us to question if we will ever be enough to warrant belonging, if we will ever do enough to warrant love. And for those of us who are in middle school or high school, or we have middle school or high schoolers at home, not only do you have to contend with these voices questioning your belovedness, but you also have the pressure of the voices on social media. And probably, whether we acknowledge it today or not, Many of us make these kinds of harsh judgments about ourselves all the time. I just need to do this better, or I just need to stop doing that, or I just need to look this way, or I need to speak that way. I'm sure you can add your own. But those voices stand in stark contrast to God's voice of blessing. And on this baptism of the Lord Sunday, I get to proclaim to all of us, myself included, that just as Jesus was baptized like everybody else, the voice of blessing that echoed for Jesus also echoes for everybody else, for you and for me. What I find remarkable and very telling as I've read the story of Jesus' baptism this time around is the consequence of Jesus hearing and trusting his belovedness and receiving this blessing. Not only does this message of love and belovedness sustain him, but it also becomes the lens through which he sees all people and interacts and ministers to all people. And the message of belovedness he shares this with all he meets. Is this what happens when we accept 
and trust the gift of being beloved? In his book, Life of the Beloved, Spiritual Living in a Secular World, Jesuit priest Henry Nouwen addresses his close friend Eric, who is not religious. Throughout their long friendship, Eric had come to appreciate Nouwen's writing, but as a non-religious person, the content of Nouwen's books never really spoke to him. So he asked Nouwen to write a book addressed to him and his other non-religious friends. Eric requested that he write, I quote, about the deepest yearning of our hearts, about our many wishes, about hope, speak to us about God, end quote. And here's the book here. Um, if anybody would like to borrow this or has not seen this before, it is so excellent. Henry Nouwen, anything that he writes, I think is very profound. But this book in particular is just a beautiful, beautiful reflection. So in response, Nouwen focused his message on belovedness. It's called Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen. You can borrow it if you want. He, he decides to write this book focusing on belovedness as the foundation for our lives. From there, he says, we are compelled to see others as beloved too. He writes, when our deepest truth is that we are the beloved, and when our greatest joy and peace come from fully claiming that truth, it follows that this has to become visible and tangible in the ways that we eat and drink and talk and love and play and work. He continues, I must tell you that claiming your own belovedness always leads to a deep desire to bless others. It is remarkable how easy it is to bless others, to speak good things to and about them, to call forth their beauty and truth when you yourself are in touch with your own belovedness. Hey, good looking, what you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? Cecilia's mom's morning tune was an affirmation, but also a reminder that her mom was interested in her plans every day and wanted to be part of Cecilia's plans and also wanted to include Cecilia in her plans. And so as we return to that Hank Williams song, the question he asks seems to follow what Jesus asks of us, what God asks of us. I wonder if God asks us to remember the call in our lives by asking us what we have cooking. And God commissions us to cook up something with God as co-creators in a weary world that needs to know they are beloved. How does a weary world rejoice? Well, maybe we cook up something with God. And when the words of the world are louder, drowning out God's affirmation of belovedness, we need parents, friends, colleagues, partners, spouses, pastors, and loved ones to remind us often that we are loved. This past week, I read a story about a woman riding a crosstown bus in New York City during rush hour. Traffic was barely moving. The bus was filled with cold, tired people. They were all deeply irritated with one another and really with the world itself. Two men barked at each other about a shove that may or may not have been ha intentional. A pregnant woman got on, and nobody offered her a spot. Rage was in the air. There was no mercy found there. But as the bus approached 7th Avenue, the driver got on the intercom. Folks, he said, 
I know you've had a rough day and you're frustrated. I can't do anything about the weather or the traffic, but here's what I can do. As each one of you gets off the bus, I will reach out my hand to you. As you walk by, drop your troubles into the palm of my hand, okay? Don't take your problems home to your families tonight. Just leave them with me. My route goes right by the Hudson River, and when I drive by there later, I will open the window and throw your troubles in the water. It was as if a spell had lifted. She writes that everyone burst out laughing. Faces gleamed with surprised delight. People who had been pretending for the past hour not to notice each other's existence were suddenly grinning at each other like, is this guy serious? Oh, he was serious. At the next stop, just as promised, the driver reached out his hand, palm up, and waited. One by one, all the exiting commuters placed their hand just above his and mimed a gesture of dropping something into his palm. Some people laughed as they did this. Some teared up, but everybody did it. The driver repeated the same ritual at the next stop, too, and the next, all the way to the river. We live in a weary world. Sometimes it's extra difficult to be a human being. Sometimes you have a bad day. Sometimes the voices of you're not good enough deplete us. Some days you struggle and fail. You lose a job or money or friends or faith or love. You witness horrible events unfolding in the news and you become fearful and withdrawn. There are times when everything seems cloaked in negativity and darkness and we long for a voice that comforts and sustains us. And what if it's your voice that's needed for such a time as this? What if God could use your voice to remind someone of their worth, their belonging, their belovedness? What if your actions are the very agent of healing and love that a difficult situation longs for? The bus driver wasn't some big power player. He wasn't a spiritual leader. He wasn't even an Instagram influencer. He was a bus driver, many times one of society's most invisible workers. But he used his voice, and he met a weary world with a dose of belovedness. He entered into the frustrations and exhaustion of the people he was with and let them know they weren't alone. No matter our age, our position in life, or how mundane or tough our situation might be, we do have influence on everyone we brush up against. When the voices of divisiveness or judgment or questioning someone's worth enter our day, may we hear God's voice reminding us that we are beloved. And may we find the words and actions to ensure that all people hear that message. The truest truth for all those who stood at the river's edge that day and the truest truth for the generations who have come since, as well as for generations who will follow, and the truest truth for you and for me is that we are all God's beloved, and not just us, but all people. Can you imagine if you heard that today, really heard that, and if you heard that each day, how your life could be transformed and how God could use you to transform the lives of others. 
the proclamation of this blessing is the most beautiful and powerful gift God could hand us and those we come into contact with on this day or on any day. And as you're interacting with others, if God's words, you are my beloved, with you I am well pleased, seems awkward in the moment, you can always break out into some Hank Williams. Sing it with me. Hey, good looking, what you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? Pray with me, please. Loving God, the bravest thing we can do is trust our belovedness. Let it be a protest, an act of resistance, a song of celebration. May we trust our belovedness in a world that is rarely satisfied. May we wear it like a badge of honor, tattoo it to our heart, and when outside forces chip away at our sense of self, may we remember the water, remember creation, remember how it is good, so very good. Let that truth hum through our veins, and may we trust in our belonging and our belovedness. Amen.